Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman and we are up to episode 83. Uh, I want to thank Tea Leaf Tea as always, uh, Le Petit Chocolat and Yesty Boys. Um, and this is a conversation I had with Stuart McKenzie. He is the co-director of The Changeover, brand new movie based on a Margaret Mahi book that is out in cinemas now around the country. Uh, you'll remember and there'll be a note there'll be a note for this that you can check out if you haven't heard it earlier but Stuart's partner in life and in art is Miranda Harcourt who I've already talked to so I'll, I'll share a link to that when I talked to Miranda we talked a little bit about the changeover but they were still you know still making it they didn't have a finished film so I delayed this conversation with Stuart until I had time to see an advance um, copy of the movie and uh, we got to talking a lot about the film. It's an amazing film and I'd urge you to go and see it. It's a great film. It's obviously a young adult movie. It's based on a young adult novel. Um, it's set in Christchurch and it's gotten amazing performances. And uh, But, you know, I went along to it without a, a young adult uh, beside me. I went to it just as a, a person wanting to see a film and it's, it's, it's certainly a film that adults can enjoy. Uh, beautifully made film uh, amazing performances and we talked a lot about the changeover but I would have talked to Stuart anyway because he's you know he's made other movies he's made short films he's written directed produced plays done some acting written some short stories he is a career writer and um and, and an interesting thinker and an interesting guy and we have a connection in that and we talk about this early on uh, we had a mutual friend years ago who kind of put us together for a, a meeting. She she said to me, oh, you want to be a writer? I, I know a really good writer. His name's Stuart McKenzie. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give him a call and, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll have a coffee with you and he'll give you some pointers. And I couldn't believe my luck he did that because I knew who he was, but I knew a little bit about him. And I was in my sort of early to mid-20s, I guess, early 20s. And I didn't know what I was doing. I could barely make a fist, you know. But uh, I went and... Um, Went and had a coffee with him and, and he sort of gave, you know, I started writing down notes. Everything that he was telling me, he was telling me, really, authors to check out, books to check out, things to things to be aware of. And, uh, you know, I was so naive and, and green but eager to try and impress. He was like, he said, oh, you know, a really great writer is, you know, of short stories is Flannery O'Connor. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, everything that rises must converge. Yeah, 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 no, I love his work. And started writing notes and he said, oh, yeah, um, she's actually a woman. Uh, so I crossed that out and, <laughs> and made a note. Um, so yeah, it was nice to reminisce a little bit about that. And uh, shortly after that, I my, my first f sort of really my one of my first uh, paid freelance gigs was doing housing features for the then Evening Post. I'd go and meet people. We'd look around their house, talk about um, you know the design of the house and and who they were and how the house suited them. And they'd get, you'd get some photographs. And and I asked Stuart if he'd do it. And and he and Miranda were keen. So. I went and interviewed them, they just had a new uh, new baby at the time and I went and interviewed them and someone took some photos of their house and that, that was one of the first paid stories I got. So uh, yeah, so it's been funny to reconnect and, and hear about his background and all of the things that he's he's done before and, and since then. We had a really good chat at two about the movie, you might remember the movie For Good, which was a, a, a is a really great film but there's a very intense uh, sort of backstory and then uh, post post-screening story about that film there was a, a major controversy so we get into that too so a really deep chat about a lot of things and then a lot of good stuff to talking about the changeover so i hope you enjoy this this is me talking with uh with stuart mckenzie i feel like we should go through your life and 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 and, and into your career from the start um 
but I, I guess I'd, I'll preface it by um, remembering how I first met you. I mean, you agreed to to meet me and I think have a coffee at Felix Cafe because we had a mutual friend. Now, who, was this, a, who was a mutual friend? Now her name was Marie. Oh, was it Marie Jefferson? Yeah, I think so. Ah, cool. Yeah, and I was um, too. I can remember. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I actually knew her surname, but um, she was a friend of a, a good friend of a friend of mine. And, and somehow I got talking to her about writing and stuff, and she mentioned you. She said, oh, I'm good friends with uh, Stuart McKenzie, and I knew who you were. But she said, oh, you know, I'll get him to you know, meet you and have a chat. And I always remember that. It was, I, couldn't, I couldn't really work out why you agreed to do it. Um, but I was, I, was really, I was really pleased that you did. Because I love Marie, you know, she's yeah, such yeah, a gorgeous yeah, person. And because it's really nice to be able to have a conversation Because I was pretty young. I think, you know, I would have been in my early to mid-twenties then. And because it was, it has to be over fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you came around and then shortly after that, I came around and did that um, and, newspaper yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. beautiful. And was it Ken Downey who took some lovely little yeah. moment photos, just yeah. little glimpses and so that was and stuff. that was all sort of part of my um, yeah my kind of journey of trying to get into newspaper work. And so when I shortly after meeting you, I met someone else who who offered me some this work doing these housing features and stuff and they were like you know do you know anyone interesting that so you know I think I sort of dialed you back up and went hey can we come around and and, right? and, and looking through your house and photo- <laughs> photograph you and your family you, you had a you had well a, I'd like you to come around to your house and photograph your house because it's so freaking interesting oh well you're welcome to you're here now but um that was so that was that was sort of how we met and I, I'm obviously I knew a bit about your work before that but yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for taking the time to to listen to a sort of uh, an idealistic and hopeful and 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 deluded young writer, <laughs> and um and my parents are probably really cross that you didn't completely put me off the idea of of following what yeah, I yeah well don't give them my phone number <laughs> yeah yeah I won't I won't <laughs> but were you um were you kind of pursuing music writing at that point as well I was yeah yep. yeah I, I I guess I'd started in that I'd done I was probably doing things for the student paper and might have been doing things for Capital Times even and, and maybe New Zealand Musician but I was yeah and then when I, got, I did those housing features and that's kind of what got me into doing the reviews for the newspaper which because I had a track record with yep. the newspaper so yeah so that was sort of let's go let's ignore ignore me and go all the way back in your life I want to know about um, your upbringing and, mm-hmm. and, and what you did you you're, we were talking before we started recording so you're a Christchurch born and bred yeah yeah I was guy but you didn't really grow up there you did for a bit well did later on but um, so my dad was an Anglican minister and he was minister of Rickerton um, in Christchurch when I was born and then mm. pretty much immediately um, we went as a family over to Singapore when mm-hmm. I was about two or three or something mm. um, where he was the the vicar of the the priest of the Church of the Ascension and and the chaplain of St Andrew's College. So, so my kind of first memories are all Singapore, mm. Malaysia. Wow. Um, yeah, kind of Southeast Asia, and um, bizarrely, and this sounds really bizarre, and I don't say it to be meaningfully bizarre, but the very first memory I have is of a head rolling, a decapitated head rolling down a road because we were driving up as a family to. The Cameron Highlands in Malaysia, which is a kind of a holiday mm. resort, it's a very narrow, winding road, and we were—you know—I don't quite know the details. We were, we were mm. behind a truck, and a motorcyclist was coming down the other way, yeah. and didn't have enough room. Kind of clipped the side of the truck, went under the back wheel, and I just remember 
head wow. rolling down the road, and that was the first. What? That's the first kind of conscious memory that I had. Kind of know. age were you? I would have been th- up three and a half. Wow. That kind of. Stuff. I have this picture of, and and you know, I don't want to trivialise that, but I have this picture of like that whole um, Jim Morrison with the you know the Doors movie, <laughs> the, the movie people hate that Oliver Stone made. Right, I haven't seen. His, it. Oh, his connection with when he was a little kid, they saw. There'd been a car crash, and they saw Native American Indians on the side of the road bleeding, and it, and it's 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 sort of a, an image that comes up in several of his songs. Wow! And it's a childhood memory, and it it, it comes up in yeah half wow. a dozen well, love... half a dozen Doors songs. Okay, well I love Doors, so I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to revisit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, um, a lot strangely... of the spoken word stuff that he, you know that he would weave into it. Right. Um, I don't know if you know a photographer, Joel Peter Whitcomb. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know the name. But I was putting together a show this ages ago um, when I was involved in visual arts called Sacrilege and the Sacred, mm. and he was one of the photographers that I was um, interested in putting in the show. Mm. Um, it was going to be at the Gobet Brewston was funded by them, but then the the the, the very conservative city council put a, a kibosh on it. But anyway, yeah. so I got to meet all these interesting people, including Joel Peter Whitcomb, yeah. and um, his first memory too was of a decapitated head wow. he was coming out of a shop um yeah. he'd been pushed out of a shop and, a, and his pram by his mother and somebody had been hit by a car and gone under the wheel wow. and that was his, the first thing that he'd seen as yeah. well wow. so it's kind of a um, yeah, that's an interesting shared thing. sort of yeah. you know, shared experience or you know comparable <laughs> yeah exactly experience yeah um far out so so yeah so um singapore and i've always had a real interest in southeast asia and after School. I went to, went back to Southeast Asia and did that classic, um, you know, happy tra- mm-hmm. trail around Southeast Asia. Yeah. But I'd done a. I'd gone to Christ College because I was um, the son of a Anglican minister, so was on a half scholarship. Even though it was very difficult for my parents to send mm. me there, and I never, I never kind of appreciated it particularly. And in the end, they asked me to leave. Um, in the sixth form so I left and did a year at university when I was 17 and then went overseas and travelled around for two years and um, got involved in you know smoking a lot of opium and <laughs> taking a lot of heroin and mm. that kind of thing um, and then came back to Christchurch and I was really mentally kind of strung out and quite sick um, and got involved in the free theatre because I was giving a public reading poetry reading and some members of the free theatre were there and I was reading a long poem called The Joffengrack, which I'd written while I was travelling overseas, and it's all phonetic, so mm-hmm. it's all sounds, you know, mm-hmm. very kind of dada in a mm-hmm. way. But it was about half an hour long, and they loved it, and they said, hey, can we put this on stage? Can we make this into a play and put it on stage? And, and then they asked me if I wanted to be part of that, and that's how I got involved in the free theatre, and that's where I worked for, worked for four years, and then... Um, uh, and then left the free theatre because it was because um, I had a relationship with a wonderful person called Julia Allen. I would have been about eighteen, nineteen, and she was married, had three children, and was my lecturer in English at university. And then we had a child together, mm. and the scandal was so huge. Oh wow! That, really? Yeah. Right. That I kind of had to leave town, and because she was married. Um, the, because she was still teaching and it, yeah, and she was also working at the free theatre. Mm. But it just became impossible for me to stay on in Christchurch. So yeah, right. Then I moved on up to 
Auckland yeah. and um, Julia and her husband Vic brought Sarah up and you know we're very close now mm. um, but that was all kind of traumatic at the, yeah, at wow. the time you know. wow and um, then you're still quite young in yourself no matter how much you've travelled at that, at that age yeah, yeah right? no, I was so, really young and really yeah. immature and, yeah. and but also quite devastated by the whole mm. thing because um, I really wanted to have something to do with Sarah, but of, of course. course I was so young and yeah. legally, you know, yeah. I had no leg to stand on particularly. Wow. I was much younger than everybody else, so it was all difficult. Wow, wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, um, but you know, that was my kind of, you know, while I was at the Free Theatre, I wrote mm. The Joffengracht's, um, uh, The Rapist Over Susanna, and a letter from Al, and texts for decomposition and the mortal pleasure of wanderlust and they're all very kind of out there but mm. very visually and emotionally intense pieces so what are the like i guess the literary influences that you're working from there you've got this you've got your your own pretty colorful life your travel experiences your your um your journey that you've you've gone back to in mm. terms of southeast asia and your your upbringing but what what's helping you put this stuff on the page in terms of what you're reading or what are you interested in? Uh, well a whole kind of hodgepodge really and, and some of it was really unhelpful but when I was travelling you know I had Dylan Thomas, I had Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil, I carried around Milton's um, uh, God, just you know, poem, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it's called um, and what else was I reading? A lot of William Burroughs, a lot of Samuel Beckett, yeah, yeah, um, that kind of thing. I think Burroughs, who I loved, was really bad for me. Yeah, right. You know, as a yeah. as a writer, which is not a yeah. good not a good model because you yes. know um, Burroughs's stuff came out of a whole discipline, but it, but it's easy just to mm. to see the end result of that and try and kind of mimic that in a bad way. So not, um, not in I terms of my plays, but in terms of yes. you know, just my other aesthetic. You know. I was going to say, I imagine him as quite an unhelpful influence yeah. for, you know, for, I mean, I, I read a lot of his stuff and, uh, you know, a dedicated sort of, you know, focused period. And I don't think I ever tried to get anything from it but what he was offering onto the page. I don't think I sort of tried to emulate that in any way, but I could imagine... You know, he strikes me as a, you know, very much as a sort of one-off, a person who can do it, and anyone that's trying to do what, anyone else that's trying to do what he's doing could quite miserably fail at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I didn't try and push it, you know, mm -hmm. too far down that, um, down the literary road in terms of um, mimicking him, but, mm. but also, you know, just kind of, uh, because of my lifestyle and, you know, getting caught up in um, drugs in that way, you know, he was all part of that kind of mythology, mm -hmm. yeah, mythology of as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he's sort of a, a touchstone. Yeah, hugely for people that are at a certain point in their life. Yeah. generally. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and it's amazing how formative those kind of inferences are. But also, you've got to try and escape those at some yeah. point as well. You know. Yeah, and they sort of go. But someone like that sort of sits almost above and beyond influence in terms of practically trying to emulate you know it's a bit like someone like Bob Marley or even Bob Dylan you know they yeah. you know whilst there are loads of people influenced by them they sort of sit a little bit above that they're just they're part of the experience and listener list but no one's actually consciously trying to ape them in any way yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah so I sort of see him as being yeah like a literary version of that um okay so what's and so you get involved in this religious study 
what point does that, you know, you, I mean, obviously it's your upbringing, but at what point has that become a focus for you? Well, it, it was always a, it was always a strong focus, and I and I still haven't really unpacked the psychology of that either, mm. because I'm because I you know always when you're the son of a um, of a priest or whatever mm. vicar, um, it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword because you know I think think that I was kind of constantly pushing against that but mm. attracted to it at the same time you know I didn't mm. want to be categorized or put into a box which is easy for people to do so yeah, look at yeah. you and go you know oh you know you must be very pious or you must behave in this kind of way mm. and so you kind of um, you can either you can either become very pious or you can become the opposite yeah, and kind of kick against the pricks yeah, and yeah. react yeah. react against it and that's what I that's what I tended to do but yeah. even to the extent that I was reacting against it I was kind of caught up on that world yeah that's, what I'm, that's well. what I'm thinking you're like you're reacting to it but you're arming yourself with the the knowledge of what it where it all comes from what it means yeah but you're you know was there ever a time were you encouraged to you know follow in the footsteps or was it expected of you that you would at whatever point that you'd rebelled was it oh he'll come around he'll you know he'll come back to this and this is what he'll do or did and did you or did you feel that? In any yeah, way? I felt that. I, I don't think you know. I loved my dad who passed away about four or five years ago. Mm. Um, um, and I at, at some point I definitely thought that I would become a minister, that I would mm-hmm. become get ordained. Um, uh, so that, so you know I think that was part of the fuel of the of my study for a while, but I was doing it in a very different way because I, I was doing my kind of study in that arena through the study of contemporary religion. So it wasn't just Christianity, it was Buddhism and Hinduism, etc. But I but as my studies continued, I kind of focused in on Christianity. But, you know, typically for me, I focused in on the, the kind of the more, not perverse, but I was very kind of um, interested in... Um, heretics and the idea of sacrilege and um, you know I was doing my thesis on pain and martyrdom in the early church and then when I started doing a PhD Mm. I extended that out to look at um, deconstruction theology and and death of God theology and look at the idea of the wound and those kind of literary theologies etc as Mm. well so but but then then it came to a point where I went, look, I, this isn't for me. I don't want to become an academic. Um, I, I think I've really pushed myself well and truly outside of the the normal kind of um, uh, fold in which mm. you can get ordained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm going to um, pursue this this other interest that I have, which yeah. is which is um, theatre and film. Yeah, right. And, and that's and that's what I did. Yeah. But but I still read a lot of theology. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm and, still very interested in that area. And it's, I mean. And I, know, I mean, I know about you that you and Miranda, you've got a, um, you're very passionate about art and collecting art, and obviously religious iconography and um, so forth is a big part of art. Obviously, you know, even, yeah. even you know, even contemporary art where religion doesn't necessarily play as much of a a role in people's lives actively these days, it's still reflected in things, you know, possibly ironically or deconstructed, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, I think ironically. Um, Christian, you know, art that kind of addresses Christian iconography explicitly is often the least 
religious in a funny way yes. because it's, it's yeah, simply yeah. dealing with the, the kind of trappings. Mm -hmm. But um, but you know a lot of contemporary art does have very strong kind mm -hmm. of spiritual underpinnings to them. And also like uh, where, where I'm sort of going with that is, uh, is um, theology as a study is for, for a lot of people it's it's uh, simply a form of um, philosophy to study it or, or it's comparable yeah. to it. Right? Yeah exactly. A version of studying philosophy. Yeah so, yeah for sure. And 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 art history and history and classics and those, you know all yeah. of those sort of things bleed into. Yeah so looking looking at the kind of the, the history and the anthropology of the idea yes. of God. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and and you know it's infinitely fascinating. And it finds its place, I imagine, particularly in your in the early theatre works. But it finds its place again and again in, in in a lot of what you're doing. I think so. I think it really does inform the kind of. It certainly informs the 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 way that I look at the world mm -hmm. and and the kind of the yeah, the so, interest so I have. So therefore, your work just yeah through naturally that. kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah takes yeah. on those concepts. But also, I'm thinking that, and we'll get to this in, in a bit. But the changeover and the whole um, idea of witchcraft and magic and those sorts of things. There's an element of that whilst whilst you know arguably being completely removed from religion. There's an there's an there's, there is a sort of parallel, right? There's a yeah. There's a really strong the whole, parallel. Yeah, the ceremony kind of aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, in fact, one of the first plays I wrote was a play called A Letter from Al, which was kind of like a, a sacrilegious communion ceremony. And I can remember my dad coming along to see that mm. and walking out halfway through because it was like, mm. a, uh, as I say, an inverted communion. He was really upset and really. <laughs> disappointed right. and when I think about it I just go oh my god yeah. my poor father all the <laughs> shit that I put him through <laughs> but um, but you know the changeover the witches um, and the changeover they're very much part of the kind of the Wicca tradition so mm -hmm. that's a very strong religious mm. tradition that's really grown up in the west so I mean I don't know if you I imagine you know this. I don't know if you know this, but because I, I transcribed a podcast piece for the cha for the changeover, yeah, 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 and it was actually doing that. Yeah, that, exactly. That really kind of you know I probably knew that already, but it was doing that that m made this very obvious to me. This whole sort of yeah religiosity, this whole ceremony. Yeah, there's the strong aspect. ritual, the yeah, strong the kind ritual. of um, yes. uh, initiatory Bel thinking, belief, yeah, all yeah. of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and so that sort of came to mind to me. I was thinking, you know, on the one hand, this is as far removed. Ideologic, you know, ideologically or something from religion, but actually it's a complete parallel. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of identical. Yeah, and and yeah. um, you know, according to the lights of Wicca, um, their religious roots go further back than Christianity mm -hmm. does, right back into into the early pagan mm -hmm. times. So we derailed. Where did we get to in your timeline? You moved to Auckland because of this scandal. Yeah, so I moved to Auckland um, and uh, wrote another play up there called Down the Reedy Road, which is based on a book by Amos Tutuola um, called The Palm Wine Drinkard. And that was very successful. And I had a great time in Auckland and I was working at the um, Mercury Theatre, working in the box office, so, you know, mm. not acting at all. I mean, the, the free theatre in Christchurch was, was really a cult and I don't mean that in a derogatory way <laughs> yeah. but um, but um, it was it was kind of um, formed around a guy called Peter Falkenberg who was a or who is and it's still going the free theatre is still going um, who was involved in the theatre and film studies department at Canterbury University and and had set up this um, theatre group and then we got PEP funding so it was kind of quasi professional um, but very much according to 
Peter's lights in terms of um, avant-garde European mm. theatre. Mm. So it was a little, kind of a little um, molecule in Christchurch, which was kind of very different from a lot mm. of the other stuff that was mm. going on. Although, you know, Christchurch, there was the flying nun, there was all the yeah, explosion yeah, of, of music happening yeah, at the yeah. same time, and a lot of those people were my friends. Um, but, you know, so there were two different kind of Christchurches, the, 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 the youth radicalised lots of interesting ideas, Christchurch, and then, you know, what seemed to us as much more conservative mm, Christchurch, mm. But, but, you know, undoubtedly still full of people with interesting ideas, but, mm. yeah. So, where and when do you meet Miranda and all this? Miranda was the first person that I met at Canterbury University, so in my, um, the way I kind of imagine it, or remember it, is turning up to enrol for orientation, and I can't remember anybody else, but I can just remember Miranda in the, the Canterbury University kind of courtyard, and we got to talking, and um, I just felt an immediate kind of attraction yeah. to this wild-haired young yeah. woman, and um, we decided to go and get our ears pierced, bizarrely enough. So mm. we had $10 between us, and we went down to the, um, to the ear piercer in, in the square, um, but each piercing cost five dollars, so we got one piercing each. So yeah, she I got my I got my ear pierced here. She told me the same story, and <laughs> in, 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 in a pretty similar way, but, right. which is great because yeah. clearly you both remember. Yeah, well, it's kind of, well, know. well, it's either that or it's become mythologised for us <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. over the time. But, but yeah, yeah, but I we put, your, but I we put our mark, we it. put our mark on each other <laughs> yes. basically, yeah, and yeah. I and I had just completely fallen in love with her, mm. um, but. But we just became, but we became friends, mm -hmm. and so we hung out a huge amount, and then worked together. And yeah, well, no, we didn't work what? together. We just hung out together. Mm. But um, you know, I was doing religious studies and philosophy at university. I didn't really see a lot of her at university, funnily enough, because she just um, she disappeared into her hostel, writing an yeah. essay about Catherine Mansfield, and the, you know, for <laughs> long periods of time, would never see yeah. her, and she never went to <laughs> lectures or anything. Right. Um, and then after that first year, I, I went off and decided to travel around overseas. Mm. I went to Australia and worked in a rice factory to make enough money to travel in Asia. And she she headed off up here to go to um, drama school. So we didn't see each other for the longest time. But then when I um, left Christchurch under a cloud, I went to a party after this play that I had written after the last night. Mm. And, um, and at the party, I bumped into Miranda again. And so she was in the middle of doing gloss. Yeah, we became, you know, we reconnected in a, in a you know, major way. And once again, I was, you know, my kind of love for Miranda was rekindled. Yeah, but she had other things going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but we'd spend a lot of time together, and I think you know she found me um, kind of a relief to hang out in some ways because there was so much. She had so much notoriety, and she was so you know, yeah, the loss yeah, was huge. Yeah, it's, it was, it's hard to describe. I, you know. I mean, I was pretty young, but I remember it, and I remember the impact that it had. And, yeah. I, and I was thinking, and I talked a little bit about this with her, but then that's when it sort of you know, because she's the child of actors, that's when that sort of really comes into play, right? That she or she had this infamous character anyway, but also it sort of starts to announce her as you know part of a lineage yeah i think yeah. that's true yeah and, and you know we'd walk you'd walk through auckland and people would literally yell at her you know yeah. because because her character was 
so unscrupulous yeah, yeah, yeah. that people, at, especially at that time, they yeah. weren't able to disassociate her no, from the exactly. character and they'd be yelling insults at her. And yeah. Oh my God, it was, you know, you just, to, just talking about it, I can feel it in my body. It was quite intense. It's so different now because like now you binge watch a whole series and you also watch it and you go to forums and discuss the impact of it immediately with people. And back then you're watching it week to week and it's insular little New Zealand. Yeah. And 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 we didn't. I don't think people really had the psychology to mm. disassociate totally. the actor from the character. Yeah, yeah. You know, it always reminds me of that story. The first time um, people saw move, the moving image, you know, back at the, um, the the beginning of cinema, and and there would be a person literally at the side of the screen, describing to the audience what they were seeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Because yeah. because their their visual. Psych- and yeah, psychology yeah. wasn't able to quite put it together. So yeah. you say, well, this is a carriage being drawn by a yeah. horse down a road. And you go, oh, okay, that's, that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's a yeah, bit yeah. like that with, yeah. with gloss. And, yeah. you know, actually, this person isn't yeah. the actor. You yeah, know? yeah, they're yeah. paid to put on a show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then they change outfits. And, and it's a problem that if you look pretty much the same as your character, which you tend to do, particularly on TV shows, yeah. you might wear different clothes, but you're instantly recognizable. Yeah, so people just do not. You know, think that's a person going out into the world yeah. and, and not being the person that I, because they recognise them as that character. So that's just the association; it just sticks. And it's interesting. So you were you were saying you felt it hugely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I I feel I remember it as being a very intense time. In mm. fact, I remember my whole early life has been very intense, and that was part of the the <laughs> intensity of it. Um, but you know, it. But our relationship was really forged in the crucible of that kind of intensity, and we really got on extremely well together. Um, but I, I was I was in a relationship with somebody else, a wonderful woman called Lisa Denson, who was a contemporary dancer, and then she went off overseas and kind of broke my heart, and I couldn't hack being in Auckland any longer. Hmm. Um, so I decided to come down to. Wellington and went to and then carry on with my university studies hmm. so I did a, a BA honours down here in Wellington and, and carried on um, starting to do the PhD and hmm. went hmm. up to Cambridge to, as a secondment doing postgraduate things working with a really cool theologian called Don Cupid um, hmm. who is an interesting kind of post death of God theologian um, so then once again Miranda and I were, were separated hmm. and, you know hmm. Um, <laughs> can you hear? hear? The chairs just blow over in the wind. Oh, right. So he's just protecting the place. You know? <laughs> um, and then, you know, the rest is history. We, we connected again down here in Wellington. Yeah, and so you've been here yeah. since then. So you're talking, yeah. what, early 90s, late 80s? Yeah, early 90s, yeah. I think. So we've yeah. been here, you know, I've been here a good while now. Mm, mm. Um, and this has always been... Miranda's town. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I love Auckland, but actually I really love all the New Zealand cities, so I could happily live in any of them. Yeah. Um, and doing what you do, in a way you could. Yeah. Quite easily, compared yeah, yeah. to some other people. Like yeah. Like, you, you essentially can work from home and have your thoughts and you just need your workstation and obviously you, you, connect, you end up connected to communities and work with other people, but in terms of what you do. Yeah, and, and I, I love... Wellington a lot more. When I first came here, I thought, fuck, it's so <laughs> bleak mm. and brutal. Mm. You know, it just felt windswept and desolate. Mm, mm. Um, but then so did Christchurch. You know, um, you know, I look back at photos taken of Christchurch in the mid-80s, 
when you know we were doing all our work at the free theater mm. and you go wow that is intensely bleak mm. and i'm sure people have the same impression with Auckland you know mm. and it happens everywhere you know but cities become so much more interesting as time goes by and um uh you know and the things that people you know the cafes and the entertainment and mm. all those options and facilities that we have now which you know yeah 20 years ago it just weren't there um you, I want to pick up on you. You talked about your um, your early life, and separate to that, your relationship with Miranda starting off and being very intense. And then you you talk about um, yeah. I want to know when that changed in terms of when did you feel like you could relax into life, and it, and the intensity drop or because uh, the, what I'm what I want to get to is that those verbatim plays and things like that. Yeah. The the the, the work that you guys did there that doesn't strike me as a relaxing time at all. <laughs> no, no it wasn't and even as you were talking there I was just drifting off going well I wonder it's actually still intense. <laughs> yeah, well that's, what, well that's what I'm thinking. Well first of all, uh, you know, I, I imagine you know this better than anyone and have probably been told versions of this before but um, Miranda strikes me as just a, a huge force I don't think I've ever met anyone like her in terms of um, um, there's a magnetism and an ability that is just instantly obvious. Mm. Um, and so there's that, and there's uh, the absolute sort of spirit of a performer in her, as well as obviously the ability. Yeah. Um, so that's something to sort of sit behind. Yeah, and and, and, and in fact, when, you know, at the beginning of our relationship and then when we got married... Um, you know, she was an active performer. That's the way mm-hmm. that she that she saw herself. That's changed. You yes. know, she's still an actor, yeah. but but she's incorporated a whole number of other, other mm-hmm. activities, as mm-hmm. you know, like the acting, coaching, she's and the writing. She's a teacher. She's a coach. Yeah, she's a exactly. Writer, yeah, um, a director. But, but when she was an actor, mm-hmm. solely as an actor, and that's how she saw herself, um, she would be, she would it would consume her so much that she was actually really difficult to be around. She couldn't really do other do other things yeah, so it, was, right. it, was... it, it often felt quite lonely uh, you know in that relationship mm. because because when she was doing a play my god that was it it was like when she wasn't on stage she was on lithium because yeah. she was just kind of unable to connect with the world around her yeah. Um, yeah and obviously when we had kids that became more difficult so I think that's when she started to branch out into yeah. other things yeah. just to actually give herself some respite from yeah, that degree yeah, yeah. of intensity as well yeah and you know she's hugely talented and hugely charismatic so she mm. gives everything that she can to actually she's quite a a, a solitary person I, I know she comes across as being very mm. kind of gregarious and being social, much part, and, yeah, social yeah. part of the world yeah 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 but actually she's she's quite solitary and she yeah and it's quite exhausting for her to give yes. you know, I shouldn't be speaking on her behalf because she'll have a different thing but yeah, you know yeah, yeah. sometimes it can be exhausting for her to, mm, mm. to give to that extent or mm. to put out so much energy to that mm. extent um so yeah so doing the verbatim plays i mean she started off you know and this is so miranda my god you know she went over to um to london and went to the central school of speech and drama and that was part of the reason actually why I went to Cambridge because I wanted to be right. close to her. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I arranged things and, and got this um, scholarship to be seconded to Cambridge while she was living in Labrook Grove and in London. So we at least were within cooey of each other. Mm, mm. Um, 
uh, but then she had this idea after doing the um, drama therapy course to come back and to be involved in um, theatre and prisons and um, uh, did a play out at Arahata or a performance out of Ara at, out at Arahata drawing the um, stories from the, uh, the female inmates and I can remember on our honeymoon we went out to Castle Point and we literally had one fucking day on honeymoon out of Castle Point, and then I had to drive her back in and drop her off at Arahata on our way back into <laughs> on our way back into Wellington. Um, so I still feel that I've got a honeymoon owing to oh, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that whole pursuit, she had this fantastic idea um, to pursue the the um, verbatim theatre and, and wrote the play verbatim with William Brandt. They mm. went off and interviewed a number of inmates, etc., etc. And I was making a, a short film at that point. Um, I think it was The Mouth and the Truth. It was one of the first short films that I was working on. So, mm. you know, while we set up the Community Theatre Trust and I produced the play with Finn Gordon, um, those guys wrote it. It was very successful. Then Miranda and I toured it around while the tours toured around the country. And while we're doing that, um, a, a number of the inmates were saying, "Hey, you guys should do something about sexual violence." And so we started writing this play, portraits drawn from various interviews with people around the uh, around the country, and that was really in full on. Yeah. That was really full on. It was. Uh, you know, a play about sexual violence, about a girl, you know, a young girl had been abducted, raped and murdered, and it's the guy who did it, and the parents of the girl, and um, it became the play Portraits, and we toured that around, and Miranda was a sole performance, so she would play these four different characters, mm. and oh my god, it was incredibly rewarding, and emotionally Incredi kind of... Yes, draining beyond belief. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. yeah, but draining beyond belief too, but, but you really felt that it was something incredibly kind of yes. crucial and important and it made it, it did have an impact on people's lives and then we I rewrote that play as For Good which was yeah. the, the low budget feature film yeah. um, that we made and um, that's your first full length film yeah that's your first feature yeah and uh, I remember going to that at the you know when it was released at the cinema and you know it's a great film and I rewatched it I don't know last year sometime and I I uh, I well, I think it's held up pretty well. You'll you'll have different feelings <laughs> about it than yeah. I do, but um, it's an incredibly intense film too. Obviously, given the given its subject matter. But yeah, it it was incredibly God intense has become the yeah, the, mo yeah, the motif of this um, <laughs> yes, yeah, this yeah, discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was a, it was amazing to make, and um, and I thought it was very powerful. And in fact, I have watched it recently too, and I hadn't watched it for the longest time, but. Mm. Um, but the film commission were um, uh, digitising it, so I needed to yeah. be part of that process just to tick it be, off, tick it off, and yeah, be yeah. quality control. And yeah. I went, oh my god, I'm really um, still powerfully moved by this film. And actually, there's a lot of similarities between For Good and The Changeover. Yeah, well, that, that, when I watched The Changeover, um, that kind of, you know, obviously it came back into mind as it does when you watch someone's yeah. film. You think of the earlier films. I just watched Mother, and so obviously watching that, I started thinking of Black Swan and, right. and everything of Aronofsky's. You know, so that happens anyway. Yeah, you, because the DNA is still there. But, that's but, it. But, but there's a structural thing between Forward right. and The Changeover, which yeah. in retrospect is quite similar because they both Lisa and the Ch and For Good and Laura and The Changeover mm. um, have to go inside themselves yes. to to change things and, and even, themselves. even I was thinking that the 
the use of score in both films has a similar sort of impact. They're completely different scores, yeah. com- completely different composers. Yeah. But there's something about the. I'm not allowed to say intensity, am I? Because <laughs> we're no. using that too much. But there's just something <laughs> about. If we use the, intensity, yeah, now we've got to pay yeah, a copyright on. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's something about the way the music. Uh, isn't quite a character in the film, but it's you know, yeah. it's, but is also very supportive. And because when you say music's a character in the film, that tends to suggest that it's re- you know a huge presence. Because I think in the changeover, the score is is very intriguing and subtle, and you know, and it sort of just probes away nicely. Yeah, I think some of Shane Carter's stuff and for good. Obviously, there's a there's a there's some you know stuff from his bands like there's some dimmer tracks and stuff like that. But I think even even the tracks. The way they used his score is, is very cool and very, yeah, just rides along the action of the film. Well, it's really, yeah. Thank you for saying that because the the music is always sets the kind of a, the tone, the spirituality mm-hmm. for the things that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And so, so when I wrote for good, I listened to um, Shane's. Um, uh, I think you're going to be a star album. I think. Yeah, well, I, think I was going to say it would have been the first Timur Yeah, it's the first yeah. one, and and the which particular track "Smoke," which yeah. is just and I I would listen to it again and again. That's I yeah. have a, I have that hap tendency yeah. is to just thrash a song because it just becomes part of yeah. how I think about the world, and that song did, and I wrote for good through the lens of Dimmer, <clears throat> and um, and then the the kind of the thesis was well, should we should ask Shane and, and <laughs> yeah. we. And um, you know, we knew Shane, Shane yeah. and Rand used to go out and yeah. blah blah blah, and um, and the idea was to for him to compose the music, and for us, the only tracks you know to use would be songs either mm. from Straight Jacket Fitz or Dimmer, mm. um, and I thought it worked, worked as a concept. It worked really, really well, and I think mm. the music in that film is extraordinary. Mm. Um, and you know, a similar a similar kind of um, thing happened with the changeover. Um, you know, once we got our kind of conceit for it, which was let's use female vocalists to provide the interior monologue for Laura, mm. you know, then kind of musically the film fell into place and it was wonderful working with Andrew Thomas, who we've worked with a lot. He's composed music for some of the short films and also for theatre pieces that, mm. that we've done. And he's got a great electronic sensibility, but that transcends... Or, both um, contemporary classical music. He's like mm. a, he's like an encyclopedia of classical music, mm. but also contemporary pop music. You know, because through his label Compact in Berlin, mm. you know he's you know blood pop mixes Andrew's stuff and remixes it and blood. You know, so he's just got a great. Mm-hmm. He's got his tentacles in, in yeah, all the yeah. right world, and and that you know we took a lot of time working on the soundtrack for. The changeover, wow, but this... it came through Andrew and me and yeah. Liz Lang Brown, who um, who has a music blog up in Auckland, and she gave us some advice on things as well. Mm. And once we got Flumes, you and me, then the other things kind Started of to... fall into yeah. place. Yeah, I wondered that because watching it, and I knew to expect some of the pieces, like I knew um, just from I guess Miranda on Facebook sending yep. things out into the world about it. I, I knew to expect um, Beck Runger and Phaser Days and things, but when they come into play, I love the sort of, I guess, the integration between these um, source music pieces and the score. Like right. There's this really yeah, nice... Yeah, it works yeah, nicely, it doesn't it? really does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And even, like, you know, obviously... Um, 
Beck Runger's sway is from the point of view of the mother and then there's a nice um, line between that and the Phaser Days track you know that being the, the daughter's exp- you know is that the song that in 20 years time the daughter's going to reference to her yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah her yeah. family and go oh, I loved this when I was a kid growing up yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah and there's all those yeah. sorts of things were really neat in it oh know? great I'm really thrilled that you um because I mean, well, yeah, I've, I've, background, I was, was going to say so that, intrigued that, to know your perspective on it. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a um, you know, a stickler for score in movies. I'm always interested in it. Yeah, same. Um, to you know, sometimes uh, I probably overthink it. But with that, I think that's all. Very, in your film, that's all very subtly done too. It isn't like you're trying to labour those points and make people think. That. No, it's no, but it's, but it's all very, up. it's all very thought through. Yes, you know, exactly. My God, the amount of stuff that we listen to and, and tried out and yeah, jettisoned, yeah. you know, I because bet. there's all sorts of things. You know, at one stage we had Sears' um, House on Fire as the final right. track, yeah, and uh, because we wanted something kind of anthemic mm. at the mm. ends, um, and it worked really well, but it didn't have the, you know, catchword intensity and the the kind of the seriousness mm. that Eyes ruins has at the end which I just mm-hmm. am completely yeah, in love yeah, with I think yeah. you know, it just really sets the tone beautifully for the end of the movie for us and you know I wanted you know we, we listened to, of, of course to Lord and you know her kind of constituency mm. with um, uh, is very much part of is very much yeah, the yeah, same yeah. as our constituency and she sure. writes so amazingly you know her lyrics are, are such an incredibly insightful stories into the teenage world and mind mm. and journey Um but that we can afford that, and mm. and in some ways maybe we were keeping still, you know, keeping the net open. Yeah. So we listened to Chelsea Jade, and um, um, we purely ring at some stage. I guess blah, there's, blah, that, blah. there's that it's thing too of not so much wanting to be obscure, but also like, um, yeah, it's nice to shine the light on some lesser-known things yeah. as well as bringing in some old favourites. You know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I just, mean, I, I would have personally, I would have loved to have a Lord track in the film because it would have just been fantastic mm-hmm. um but we but you know the the music rights are so tied mm-hmm. up in a whole lot of different areas yeah, for yeah. that so the, for, yeah. for our budget that was kind of impossible, impossible. yeah well we're, we're, we're in there on the changeover now so we might as well kind of continue with that uh, but let's let's do a bit more sort of background context around how you guys arrive at the film because that's quite an involved story yeah well uh, or uh, how you how you arrive at the source material for a start yeah well, actually, how we arrive at the film is quite an involved story because after For Good, which had you know, quite an impact when it was playing at the film mm. festival here and it had its premiere at the Montreal Film Festival, and then um, when it came to general release, at that time, um, it became... No, there was a guy called Steve Williams who murdered his um, mm. daughter, Coral Allen yes. Burroughs, and he happened to be an extra in a scene that we shot That's in right. the Tin Hut in... Yes. Um, uh, in the wire wrapper. I remember that now, yeah. And when the media found out about that, it was a real kind of a witch hunt. And um, uh, they called for the film to be um, recut right. without him. I mean, you only just glimpse the yeah. side of his shoulder. So, you know. He's not, and, and he's not a featured player. He's not a featured <laughs> player. And, you know, it was on the it was the leading item on the TV mm, one news and it was on the front page of the Sunday Star Times yep. and they would always put his picture there yes. and I was going that you're telling us you're telling us to take him it. out we yeah, can't yeah. see him but you're putting him here yeah, yeah, where you're you actually can. giving people more of an image yeah. of this guy that they yeah. didn't but it killed the film so wow. it was it was pulled out of um, video easy and a number oh, of video really? stores took it off the shelves they wouldn't wow. they wouldn't um, release it as a video it, you know it just killed the film and it was really 
you know, hugely, Jesus. hugely um, emotionally kind of grueling. Mm. Not least because, you know, we really, of course, were devastated by the, the death of Carol Allen and mm. her, her real dad, um, Ron Burroughs, uh, he was interviewed, the two of us were interviewed by Linda Clark on national radio live and he said it's because of you it's your fault that my daughter was killed because clearly Stephen had picked up a copy of the script and read in the scripts and it was that wow. that influenced him to kill Coral Allen it's like you know we have talked to so many and, people yeah. and who uh, uh, involved in this kind of situation you know somebody in a who's off their nut on pee you know mm. wasn't, there was no blaming of being off the nut on pee to mm. kill the child but um does this and then panics and then buries the body in a shallow grave and that's what happened in the film and you know they were just going this is he did that because he was an extra in your film so so Miranda and I were just like oh my god you know and you guys are parents at this point so and we're, you, you, we're un parents you understand the emotion that's yeah. going on too as well as having your own yeah you know. it was it was Full on, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see that. <laughs> and and we thought, look, let's let's do something different um, that, that has the opportunity to have much more of a commercial impact because mm. you know we always made it knowing that it would be a film oh, yeah, that, yeah. that would live live on, perhaps mm. perhaps not. I hope it will mm. that people will go back and see it, but um, let's make something that's well, it's not a happy film, so it's not going to be a um, a winner in that sense. No, like, it's 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 made with a different thing in mind a yeah. different reason a different purpose yeah. yeah and and you know it's a it's it's a, it's kind of a flawed film but actually it's still fucking powerful and the performances so. in it are, in t yeah. are amazing you yeah and, and Miranda's performance in that film is sensational I was going to say that like yeah. that there's the the yeah the bit to, sort of towards the end the big sort of emotional scene for her that with the visit is incredible yeah and um and I guess there's something in controversy too about longevity you're saying we hope that film will live on in some way and there is something about film you know films and books getting banned getting edited argued around yeah that that brings them back into mind because I, I i mean the, the story you're relaying i sort of remembered a lot of that but it's because i rewatched the film i wasn't thinking about that right. i was just like this film exists yeah good yeah, yeah, you yeah. know whatever happened there happened yeah and, and that all recedes into that history yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, but for us, we're going. Oh God, that was mm. that was um, such a, yeah. a, an up and down emotional journey. Wow. Yeah. Not only for us, but for everybody. And we made it on the mm. smell of an oily rag. So mm -hmm. we nearly went. You know, that's the other history of the thing in our history is that everything that we do, like yeah. we tour a biography of my skin around, yeah. and you know, you're really putting yourself on the line. And mm. you know, this is a creative person mm. that you know for biography of my skin, I can remember the earthquake. The Christchurch earthquake happened halfway through our tour. Right. And I went, fuck, we're going to lose our house because, you know, yeah. ha you know, how selfish of me to be thinking about this when everybody's going through grief. <laughs> yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Christchurch was one of our venues. Right, yeah. And yeah. I went, nobody's going to come to yeah. see the show when we get to Christchurch. Mm. Um, uh, you know, th this is really going to be a, a big impact on us and our house is going to, you know, we're going to lose a mortgage on our house. Um, so so then you know you're sweating as you're touring and yeah um and then we actually got to christchurch and, and had done a number of publicity things in, in a way and it was a huge success in christchurch believe it or not mm -hmm. and it was actually it was after the first earthquake and it was the last show in the um christchurch last theater show in the christchurch town hall before the next earthquake and before mm. that whole thing is mm. um no longer 
Mm. used <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know certainly certainly with for good um we were on the bones of our ass financially and and in a very precarious situation hence yeah. we thought let's do something that has kind <laughs> yeah, of a yeah. commercial opportunity yeah. but you know nothing is easy because mm. um so we thought the changeover margaret mayhe and we had this long history with margaret mayhe and the changeover and we just thought look everything it just makes sense mm -hmm. But little did we know that actually a young adult um, project like this, which ostensibly has got a big audience, mm. they are the trickiest audience to market to and yeah. get to, yeah. because they're so because they've got so much at their fingertips in terms of what they can yeah, watch yeah. that marketers yeah. and distributors are really paranoid about. And they're not like talking to them. And they're not like probably you know you and I as we came up we're. You have these cultural experiences where we, even when you're not enjoying them, you sit through them anyway. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know they what don't. I mean? Like that, there's, there's no loyalty to, yeah. you know, what, why bother when yeah. you can just click to something else. But, you know, I'll, I'll still go and buy, you know, the latest album by, but you know, whoever, a whole lot of people, and that are, and you sort of know it's not good, but you've sat through everything out. You know, like I bought all the Lou Reed albums in the, in the 90s and early 2000s because, you know, his, his records through the 70s and 80s. Yeah, because you had big, allegiance to it. Yeah, and yeah. they were a big deal to me. So, yeah. But you'd almost go into the store to get them knowing, oh, well, this is going to be crap, but I'd better get it anyway. Yeah. And so we, well, that's how I kind of came up, and I imagine you did too. In yeah, sense. totally. That's just not an option now. That's just which is kind of great. Yeah. But yeah, that that's all part of the God. This is a hard um, audience to it's a hard to one. sell to. And we always had a very clear idea of what we <laughs> wanted to do and how how the changeover and the way that we were going to make it was different from other product for this audience. But mm. in terms of engaging the film commission or um, a sales agent or a distributor, those guys are so paranoid because they don't know how to mm. market. To these people, but they know it's expensive. You know, mm. from their point of view, mm. you know, um, you pay this amount of money, but you've got to pour on all this other money for the for the marketing. You know, we've tried a different approach now that the film is made and mm. got teen ambassadors on and um, that kind of thing, yeah, and, yeah. and a way of using social media in a in another way. And we'll find out how successful that is yeah. <laughs> at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, it's just the point I'm making is that it was a longer haul and a more complex yeah. haul than we actually thought it was going to be. And it always is in a and creative endeavor. You know? For anyone listening to this that didn't, I mean, I'll include a link to it, but that hasn't already listened to the earlier podcast I did with Miranda, um, one, correct me if I'm wrong, one of her first sort of jobs was reading the changeover on national radio. Yeah, yeah. So, so she's, Which is being repeated now on RNZ, but like way which, back in the day. So that's... Oh, which is so interesting yeah. to, to listen to. So she yeah. came out of drama school. It was her first job out of drama that's school right. 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Reading the changeover as a serialisation for national radio. And they're replaying it now mm. to coincide with the release of the film. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a great marketing kind of thing. Yeah, that's so cool. Thing, you know, so <laughs> yeah. Because everybody listens to that, hopefully, and yeah. wants to see the film as well. As long as and they don't think that the radio thing is the change of thing yeah. that they're hearing about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and going, yeah. oh, I don't have to go to that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. right. Yeah, so <laughs> that could bite us in the bum. But, um, but listening to Miranda 30 years ago, and her... I was talking to this last night um, with Damien Wilkins at the book launch of... Annalise Joachim's baby mm. and he said oh, I've been listening to Miranda my god her voice it's so British but there's Kiwiisms yeah, yeah. there as well and so just a it's sociologically really interesting to hear yeah. the the evolution of her voice actually mm. yeah mm. it's a little slice in time it's so interesting because mm. that would have been um, 
still with the sort of cultural cringe around Kiwi accents in terms of broadcasting, yeah, right? Yeah, Which totally. Is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it was part of that the yeah. British the British accent, yes, the bastion of it. Yeah. But you know, I listen to it and I go, oh my god, you're such an incredible reader because she mm. she's reading fast, but it's so articulate and clear, and the emphases and the characterisation she give, uh, gives gives uh, a you know, it's it's a classic reading. It's really mm. beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And so there's this great little um, director's cameo that in the in Changeover, which is about as um, obscure a director's cameo as you can get. I think. <laughs> you, you mean my my voice my voiceover my um, yeah. radio voice? Well, that plus Miranda's one as well. Oh yeah, that's the, that's awesome. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. Which I don't know if we should spoil, but oh no, I think well, that's I, th- I think that's fine. She, so she's the voice of um, Slinky. You know, she's yeah. reading Slinky Malinky, and we yeah, use yeah. that in the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, I was going to like a couple of years ago, I had those DVDs out from the library for for my son Oscar for Oscar, and um, and then we and. Then we went to, I think, well, we went to the thing that the orchestra did with a live reading, which, you know, which she turned up and sort of redid this thing that she'd done. So then hearing it in the context of that, seeing it in the in the film, someone was watching a clip of it, that's quite a cool... Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then yeah. your one too, it's like... I, I, um, I get a lot of um, pleasure out of, <laughs> out of hearing her reading Slinky Malinky in yeah. the film. And, um, and the rights for Slinky Malinky were through the Film Commission, because it was a Film Commission funded series of shorts the Harry McClary and the Slinky Malinky mm. and they were going to charge us a lot of money yeah it was kind of weird it's like we've we've got film commission funding and the changeover they were going to charge us literally thousands of dollars yeah. for the Slinky Malinky I'm not bad mouthing the film <laughs> no, commission no, no, it's, no, just no. A, it's just the, it's just yeah. ironic yeah yeah uh, until I think somebody said um you know that's Miranda's voice and she got paid a pittance to do it yeah, in the yeah, first yeah, instance yeah. so maybe you know just in the yeah, interest yeah, yeah. of good karma it could be quite good to make it available for them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny um, so how long all up is the sort of gestation of this film obviously we can't we can't count Miranda reading the original story that's just an interesting yeah although you know that is, that is actually part well, of it of in, a, it in a way so yeah. you know she so she always held out a a candle for the for the project and mm. we did I can't even remember but at one early stage we inquired as to the rights situation and they were taken they were taken I don't know if they would you know there was a Hollywood company that had taken the rights at mm. that point you know because they were very um, uh, it was a very prestigious kind of project because of um, Margaret's international reputation yeah. and it was I can't remember the name of the company, but the the guy who who was working on the script was the guy who wrote Disturbia, which is a really right. cool yeah, yeah. Um, teen film, actually, yeah. or young adult film. Um, but but so the the rights were gone, and then we tried again ten years later, and they happened to be just available. And thank goodness, because um, you know we could never have made the film earlier on mm. when we first inquired about it. So it was actually quite good. It was good timing. Really, you know, these things have a way of being finding the right time. And I kept thinking about this when I was watching it, and this this might be just a, a again something I'm overthinking, but I sort of went, oh well, you guys have, you know, you say it's this hard market to kind of capture, but by the time you make the film, you've had different versions of that target market grow up in your house that you've you've yeah, raised, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Totally. So you yeah. you've gone from having little kids to actually the the people that would yeah. you would hope to see this film. Yeah, that's really true, and 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 actually that's um, a fundamental reason why we wanted to make the changeover because you know we had teenagers, um, and we wanted to make something that we felt 
they would really respond to something that wasn't disposable, mm. um, but but really work with those deep themes that we identified in the in the mm. change over those mm. themes of change mm. and kind of sacrifice and sexuality and you know. There's this beautiful uh, metaphor that runs throughout the film of the broken city of Christchurch, which obviously Christchurch is special to both you and Miranda. It's a part of your lives. Um, it's uh, yeah. Tell me a bit about that, like the idea to set it there and what you're trying to... Well, we always wanted to set it there because that's where the book itself was set. Mm-hmm. And the book is set in, a, in Gardendale, which actually is Bishopdale in Christchurch. Right. And that's where I... Spent my early teen years. We came back from Singapore, went to Geraldine, mm. was in Geraldine for five years, and then came up to Christchurch. And so, when we when we moved Christchurch back to Christchurch, it was to Bishopdale, which is a really low rent suburb on the edge of Christchurch, where the market gardens were. So it's kind mm. of carved out of farmland, and that's you know it's that liminal world that um, Margaret set her novel. So it was, and it's very kind of eerie and dispossessed and kind of lonely so visually you know I always had that in my mm. mind mm. Um, and then the earthquakes happened um, and um, we wondered about whether or not we should in fact set mm. the film mm. there after the after the earthquakes but I, but I reread the novel for the umpteenth time after the earthquakes and in the changeover sequence in the novel there's a there's an image of Laura kind of hearing the rumbling earthquakes in the distance and I went right yeah right okay it makes sense you know mm. it was like the book was telling me yes mm. yes set the film here mm. um it's like the the book was a series of tarot cards and yeah. it was just prognosticating what the right thing to do was yeah. so we went yeah, look we've got to make it in, in christchurch it's the spiritual home and and actually the brokenness of christchurch became a kind of a metaphor for the damage and the the subsequent transformation that Laura yeah. undergoes herself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so we don't play it too much, but um, but it's just there in the background. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, one of the other, I guess, things that's emotionally important in the gestation of this film is Margaret Mahi. Mm. So you know her, you have, and you have her blessing. Mm. She was well aware of the film. Yeah. In fact, she she was the one who encouraged. Um, Orion, who held the rights to the changeover, mm. to let us right. develop it. Yeah. She said, "These guys know, are going to do a good the, job. These I guys, I, I trust them. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and actually, I would love it to come back to New Zealand yeah, and to yeah, be a yeah. New Zealand project. Yeah. And you know, Miranda read it on radio. Yeah. You know, we've had interaction. Links. There's yeah. links. I went to university with Margaret's daughter, Bridget. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the so she kind of you know we weren't she didn't know us hugely well, but she just yeah. had the There's sense that we would yeah." you know be, be faithful and, to yeah, it, yeah. you know Honor and keep the material yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and and i think that she also felt that we would not try and slavishly replicate the novel which you can't do anyway in translating it to mm, film mm. so she read an early draft of it she read a couple of early drafts actually um before she died and she was really excited about you know where we where we were taking it and what we we're concentrating on mm. and and we were kind of concentrating in the film like you know, even in the in that early stage, on that kind of um, the mythological structure that the that the book has, where Laura senses that there's magic in the world, but but actually has to leave her common everyday world and cross the threshold into an unknown world, and there's an initiation, and then um, eventually, you know, it's, it's like the hero's journey, isn't it? Mm. So at the um, 
the classic hero's journey and then she and then she comes back to the everyday world carrying a piece of knowledge that is mm. good for the community you know mm, mm. so so it's got that classic mythological structure mm. to it mm. um and you know she sensed that and that was very important to margaret yeah, yeah. Right, right and and you know i'd go down and and talk to her and we're talking you know she was such a incredibly literate articulate fascinating person in terms yeah. of both science and literature and would have you know the first thing i took to her was took her was um uh the book uh, the 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 film the innocence based on um the turn of the screw mm. you know mm. um the henry james novelette the turn of the screw and i said you know what we're going to do is something really different from this obviously but but we want that intensity yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. the the innocence the sort of has yeah, yeah. The, the creepy tone that yeah. it has you know yeah, yeah. um and and actually one of the advanced one of the people who in the advanced screenings for the the changer because we've changed over because we've done a number of them yeah one of the great comments that came out of one of the early ones was creepy af creepy I as saw that. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. yes but, well it is it's got this really um i want to use the word lovely it's got this really lovely sense of foreboding about it like i, I guess i just kind of trusted that you know it was, it's been a long time since i'd read the book but i guess i just sort of trusted that it's not going to get too dark here, mm. like given given, you know, the original story and how it's pitched to. But there is a creepiness that this foreboding sort of feeling that just from the opening frames to the close. Yeah. Which is an incredibly sustained mood, you know. It's yeah. an incredibly well sustained mood. Um, your um, decision to co-direct. Where does that come from? Is that simply? the evolution of your collaboration with Miranda? Yeah, I think it is. You know, everything we've done, um, whether or not it's explicitly acknowledged, is intensely collaborative. You know, there's mm, nothing that mm. she does that I'm not all over, and there's mm. nothing that I do that she's not all over. And, and and the key things that we have done, have we've always done together. You know, we're, just, mm. we're, we're that, those kind of people who just work very, very closely together. And it seems right um, for the changeover that we... Kind of formalise that in the in the directing. Um, Miranda's obviously got huge skills in terms of as an actor and a, a coach, and the the um, children's performance mm. is in the changeover is so crucial and you know for a whole lot of different yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. And then she's not directed a feature film before, and you have, so yeah. you bring that to it. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And you know, I think a lot of people think that you know Miranda was involved in the performances, and I was involved in yeah. where the camera was, or technically, but actually that wasn't the case at no. all. We're both all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, yeah. both all over everything, and um, crew and performers, from what I can tell, and people were you know, were vocal and talking about it, really liked that whole collaborative thing because yeah, you know, yeah, there's always yeah. somebody available. Yeah, I was going to say. You got, I, I was going to say the, the simple thing I think of is oh, I better go and ask the director that oh they're busy. Yeah. Well, the other director who's equally involved yeah. is not busy yeah, or exactly. is going to see you quicker or whatever, yeah. you know whatever. Yeah, so, it was just it was yeah. just double the um, yeah the hands on experience. Yeah. Um, amazing performances from really everyone in the film. Yeah. But. Um, well, we're, we're so thrilled with um, Erin and James. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, this is uh, a newcomer. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, she, and she is... carries the film. She carries the film, and she is like a star, you know. Yeah. And, and people see her and go, oh, my God, she is a star. And she's been picked up just on the strength of the trailer by yeah. a, a powerful Australian agency. Yeah, wow. who's, um, uh, You know, so she's just going to go... So it's a bit like, to me, I thought, you know, and it just... Um, 
things like Mel Linsky and Heavenly Creatures, who of course is in your film, and Keisha and the Whale, you know, the Whale Rider. It's one of those performances where it is just this sort of newcomer, and you're blown away by their ability and presence from the moment you see them on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. And, and a lot of people have have said that mm. as well. Have been blown away by by her. And you know, we she was in Miranda's teenage acting class, mm. teen acting class at Rata Studios. Mm. And one day Miranda, and, and Erin must have been 13 or 14 at the time, it was really a long time mm, ago, mm. Miranda um, brought home a photo of Erin and said, oh, this is Erin um, and she's in my class. And I said, well, there's our Laura. Wow. So right there, yeah. we went, she would be an amazing and Laura. Because it was important to us that yeah. Laura was Mari because she's Mari yep. in the book, you know, yep. so that, you know, it wasn't, we, we were open, but mm. we went, my God, she she's great, and um, you know, she she looks great, and let's just see if she's got the chops in order to, mm-hmm. to do this. So we always kept an eye on on Erin, and we spread the net wide through Tina Clary, who we cast it through um, her casting company, and we had auditions all around the country. But we just kept on going. Do you know what Erin is? She still feels right to us. She still feels like. Laura, so we made a, a, a kind of a tone reel mm, mm. with Erina in that because we couldn't raise the money on Erina mm. because all the international sales agents were going, well, she's a complete unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, Dakota Fanning or somebody. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That we can put, market, you know, market, and <laughs> yeah. raise the money on. Yeah. So we, we went, okay, well, look, let's make this tone reel, and then they saw her and that, and they went, okay, well, look, she can definitely do it. Yeah, and. Uh, it was on the basis of the tone reel. We took that to, um, sent the script to Timothy Spool through his agent. He liked the script, didn't know us from a bar of soap. So we showed him the tone reel and he went, I like it. So I like was, your vision and I, and she looks great. That was my next question was how does he arrive into the film? Because, that's, that's because how, he is amazing. I mean, obviously the, his track record yeah. is undeniable, yeah. but he is amazing in that film. Yeah. I just was, um, I, yeah, as I said, I thought everyone was great, but he was particularly special too. And in that sort of... You know, he's an important supporting role for Aaron to shine, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the, the scenes that they have together, I, mm. I think, are stand out. You know, mm. I agree. And he was very generous to her as well. You know, would always make her feel incredibly comfortable yeah. and take her aside and have her a few words just to kind of calm her down because she was, you know, obviously you've never acted before mm. on camera and suddenly you're up against Tim Spall. It's, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's intimidating, yeah. but he did everything yeah. possible just to kind of normalise wow. that particular yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. So he was um, he was huge. But that's the way that we got to Tim Spall because he saw yeah. the tone really and went, okay, I've got confidence that you guys know what you're doing and can do it. You know, but it. it was still a big punt for him because he mm. won Best Actor at Cannes. Yeah. And um, to come halfway around the world yeah. to, to be in this tiny film on here. A hunch, in a on way, a hunch, right? yeah. yeah. And, you know, he always said, look, the, uh, you know, it's got to be a film that has an international impact if I'm going to be involved, you know, because yeah. it's crazy for me to be uh, best cause actor. Because he, he could do anything else. And to come down and do some yeah. tiny film here, you've got to have those aspirations. Yeah. Um, so it was a huge thing for us when he finally saw the finished film we sent mm. him as part of the contract mm. and he came mm. back with this amazing email because he which you read out at the freaking, screening that it, it, yeah. I went to and I was going to say how cool that, how cool that was like, <laughs> well he loved it and yeah. it was it was a huge relief from Rand and I to get that and go yeah, okay, validation, yeah, yeah, some yeah validation seemed you know well he wouldn't have sent it if he didn't want to but it seemed completely you know authentic and, and yeah. completely I think so He, I mean he wrote it I, I know that he, as soon as he saw it he wrote that email and yeah. I think you know, 
film. Not to put too fine a point on it, but if he hadn't liked the film, he could easily walk away from it. Yeah. You know? It's just like, yeah. well, I'm not going to do anything in terms of marketing, but he really yeah. he believes responded in it. He, and he believed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great. So that's important. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're just at the, you're just sort of getting started. I mean, you've done press and you've got a finished film and it's, it's got a release date that's going to probably coincide with when people hear this, but what's in the what's the movement from there for it like what, you've obviously got a lot of press to do and you've done a lot yeah there's already. a lot of press and and um you know it will have its um it will have its theatrical season in new zealand and you know we hope that it does well but you know we're at that point where in some ways it's a, a little yeah. out of our control we're, that's we're right you've to, done we're trying to spread the word and yeah. and get people interested in coming along and making the effort to see it because yeah. of course you know uh really people have to come and see it theatrically in order for it to have mm. a life because mm. you know otherwise the the exhibitors go oh, there's nobody coming in so we'll just pull it you know do you mm. know what i mean so it's kind of a delicate um vulnerable <laughs> period so yeah, it's, yeah yeah it's kind of nerve-wracking yeah I bet. um but you know we made it as a commercial film and the distributor vendetta who are really cool see it in that way so it's it's been released on 60 screens around new zealand through hoyt's events and reading yeah and and a bunch of really cool independents like the roxy mm. and mm. blah 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 um and you know it they never saw it as a festival film so they didn't um submit it to the new zealand mm. festival personally i would have loved to have seen it on the embassy sure. screen but you know they just wanted to keep it completely focused on the commercial yeah, in the yeah. commercial release and we'll just see how it goes and fingers and really fingers crossed you know it, reviewers will do what they're going to do mm. um teenagers will do what they're going to do mm-hmm. yeah. um i i mean i would have talked to you for this podcast anyway without the film obviously it was neat to talk to you because i talked to miranda when the film was unfinished yeah so we talked a bit about it but we talked uh, completely different but i would have talked to you because of um lots of the other things that you've done and also because of as i say um agreeing to meet me and 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 being a really strong influence in in terms of um showing showing me what what can be done if you sort of want to dedicate yourself to writing and stuff i consider you a a, a, you know a a really important person that i met at at the right time to see someone to see someone that was successful and um and I haven't really gone about replicating that in any way, but um, it's, <laughs> you know that's my fault, not your, not yours. But, but is it funny because I don't see myself as successful? I just, really? Yeah, no, not at all. I just, you know, I, I can see that Miranda is hugely successful. Sure. But I, but when I look at myself, I just go, wow, you're just working, you, you know, and and well, everything's like a, a struggle, and then you go, yeah, hey, we've got to. You know, it's a blessing to actually make something like this, but it was a blessing to finish biography of my skin. You know, that yeah. Was a, well, that's what a I, huge thing as well. That's what I was going to say. It's one of the things that, and because we, we, you only just mentioned it, I talked to Miranda a bit about it. But biography of my skin was an incredible piece of work, and and something that I found, um, you know, a, a really, a really profoundly affected me as a as a very visceral piece of theatre and a very personal, you know, yeah, <laughs> a very personal. It's so personal. <laughs> I still think of that amazing bit where you basically just insert yourself into this 
show that had been happening for I don't know how long, but you know it's quite a way through it yeah. when you just get up, pop up out of the stage, and pop up out yeah. of the audience, and say and argue that because I'm so the conceit is I'm so exasperated yes. by the way that Miranda's telling her <laughs> yeah, solo show right. about a marriage. Her, and like, no, her, so, her solo show that you've written, <laughs> yeah, you're, right. you're then critiquing her performance to the, in the ultimate way by saying essentially, no, no, this is all wrong. I didn't, I didn't write this for you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted you to do this and. <laughs> We get to see this married couple that this that we know exists and that we know that it's referencing, but we actually get to see the real people playing these versions of themselves. Yeah, it's very really kind of postmodern in that way, in, in, the, in terms of the elisions between reality mm, and mm, and mm. the stage, etc. But it yeah. was but it was very. You're right. It was very personally very vulnerable time for you guys. Yeah, and the ex- expectations from yes. everybody and our friends was oh my god these guys are going to make a complete fool of themselves <laughs> yeah, and they've gone, gone too st- far <laughs> they've gone too far put on stage yeah. something about their marriage like we care yeah yeah it's indulgent and it's so indulgent yeah mm. and then um, on the opening night at, at Downstage it was, it was a key moment in my life because it was like at the end of that performance mm. it was like everybody had taken acid a whole <laughs> theatre was kind of almost tripping with this feeling of um uh, their expectations weren't met in the way that, that, that yeah, they expected wow. and there was this just great feeling of love and emotion there and I think people really felt something about their own mm. lives reflected in what we were doing but it was incredibly it was almost euphoric now, it was I, a wonderful moment for us you, you've had all this time with the you know coming up through the free th- free theatre and all that sort of stuff but for me I remember thinking too like you're not known as an actor like you're known as a, a writer yeah uh, a producer, director, other things, but very much a behind-the-scenes yeah. guy, really. Yeah. So, I re- yeah, I remember thinking and that that was one of the kind of really crucial parts about it was that here's this guy who obviously can act, otherwise he wouldn't yeah. have written a play where he gets up in the middle of it because he <laughs> must trust I was pe- himself. I, well, I was petrified, petrified <laughs> and I was lying underneath the stage and yeah. actually at one point I went, <laughs> I'm just going to back out and leave the theatre and not come, yeah. come out when Miranda expects me. And then yeah. I was going... If I did that, she'd kill. She would literally kill me. So I'd better come on stage <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But no, it was it was nerve wracking. So um, with the changeover being finished, and and with it being a a, a project of that took some time, mm. um, do you have other things underway? Yeah. As well, Are yeah. You, totally. you're actively working on other things for some period of time throughout that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and actually we're lucky because um, all going well, we're expecting to shoot a, another film in the Marlborough Sounds in March, April next year, which wow. is based on a fantastic um, picture book called Herbert. Yeah. Um, about a boy who loses his dog um, mm. in the water and then, you know, holds up faith that he's going to find the dog again. Mm. Um, so I'm working on a pass of that script mm. at the moment. Return to the theatre for you? Um, or you're, yeah, a, fil- I'd love or to, you're yeah. a filmmaker now. No, 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 um, both. And yeah. I've got a show called, well, was, the working title is Warriors in the Kitchen, mm. which is kind of a the the story that I started this whole discussion with, which is about mm. my lovely daughter, Sarah, who's mm. 30 now. And um, um, uh, it's about my relationship with her and the way that we reconnected. Yeah, Because wow. she felt when she was a teenager that I had abandoned her and, and that bet. wasn't the case yeah, 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 and yeah, so yeah. you know we had to renegotiate who we were in our relationship yeah. together so it's a yeah. story of that through wow. food yeah, yeah. right yeah. and have you you know like because 
I guess this is a question that's asked of, of, of anyone that writes and, and I, I, I see you I don't know how you see yourself but I see you predominantly as a writer still mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're a director but you generally direct projects that you have created yep. in the writing sense uh, short stories, novels, those sorts of things, things that you've tried or things that you're working towards? Or I've, I've written short stories. I'd love to write a novel. Mm. Um, but the, the I found that the things that we've done have just taken up so, so yeah, much yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And producing takes up so much time. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, but it's I, still I have, there in the back of yeah, your mind. Yeah, God, yeah. And I, be... you know, I read a even, lot of novels yeah. and I'm so in awe of writers you know? yeah yeah I know. Yeah. I mean I know that about you and our conversations we've had and also and you know even just when you got here before we started recording but also what you just described the project around your daughter your adult daughter that I mean that could be a novel right? yeah that totally very much could be a novel yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 But, I, but I think um, you know hopefully that will happen and I will just have time to be able to yeah. concentrate on that but I love making film you know it's mm. It was such a joy directing mm. the changeover, mm. Mm. and um, and so I just want to keep on pursuing that as much as I can for the time being. It, it it comes across as a sort of it might be a weird thing to say, but it just comes across as a film that is so um, cohesive. So I'm I'm sure there was lots of little hiccups, but it's like you can't it, you can't spot any of that in, in in watching that film. It just seems like a seamless and um, probably you know um, um, emotionally uplifting project for everyone involved it just feels like there's these amazing performances and there's this amazing score great great source music great shots great you know great angles great look great feel great time like well it, just, well, it was a great time and i'm always really um suspicious of people say oh my god we had a great time shouldn't it because it's like <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. have a great time but the film could be absolutely yes, shite yeah um but but people loved working on it. Mm. They absolutely loved working on it. And we went into it, even though we only had five weeks to shoot it, which mm. was not long enough. No. We were very clear in what the structure of the... Yeah, yeah, what, what we, you what, needed how, to get. What we needed to get and mm. the way that we wanted to get it. Mm. And so um, our ratio was really high. You know what I mean? We, we kept virtually everything. Mm. Um, because we, as I say, we had so little time that we just had to shoot very quickly and know exactly what it was we were trying to get mm. um, uh, so yeah so I think it does have that kind of cohesiveness mm. to it yeah mm. and I'm mm. you know thrilled that that's how it came yeah 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 and I guess the other um, great novel fodder that you have is this um, religious curiosity that's gone through your life yeah yeah I'm, I'm not sure how that will ever play I think that's just a <laughs> no a, just a background sensibility yeah, 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 but, yeah, but yeah. it's something that I find really intriguing and I and I find kind of messiah figures or guru figures mm. incredibly intriguing as well mm. and I think that's you know my my experience of the free theater and that kind of relationship that could actually yeah. be fodder for something I'd yes. love to write something around that yeah, yeah, yeah. but I tell you who's amazing as a director and kind of exploring those scenarios and the boundary between actor and real person and the whole idea of performance etc is Alison McLean. Ah right yeah, you know, yeah and yeah. the rehearsal is a great yes. film along those yeah. lines too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'm conscious of our time is there anything you want to put across to finish or anything you you, you wanted to bring up that I haven't asked you? Uh, no, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think we could go on for yeah, well, <laughs> much think, longer but maybe another time. Maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll do <laughs> yeah. a part two another yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
Thank you.